Here we go. It's Monday night time once again for Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsama. We are live in living color. Ira's here. I, I, I was anticipating you making it back, but I did think, obviously, you went to the um, SEC Championship game. We'll talk all about that uh, coming up on Ira on Sports, but... I thought you were going to find a, a way to tie an NFL game into this, too, and maybe not get back here, but that kind of didn't work out. You came back yesterday. Yeah, it would have been. The only one I would have gone to had been Jacksonville tonight against Cincinnati. I was thinking about that, but I had, wanted to do the show and do this. It didn't work out. So if Joe Burrow was playing, you'd probably make it up. Right, it's a 10-point <laughs> line, but yeah, that would, have been a, that would have been an awesome game. First time in Jacksonville has hosted a Monday Night Football game in 12 years. So pretty. there's been, I think, the least amount of times a team has been hosted them. It's been seven, and the, that's how the, some teams have hosted like 14, 15, 16, 17 times mm -hmm. since Jacksonville. Jacksonville is hosted, so they're really excited about that one football game. We'll talk about that. NFL college, get you all caught up tonight. We're also going to uh, hear part two of Dan Pompey joining us here. Really interesting uh, book he put out, controversial to say the least, and we're going to continue that today. Yeah, top 100 NFL football players. Uh, I just can't believe some of his. Uh, I, I, the question is when you know we, when you think about Patrick Mahomes, he had him at 98. You know where would uh, where would these current players and his Mahomes at 98? That's a big issue in terms of should be much higher or lower from that. So. Yeah, they'll have to revisit this in about a decade. <laughs> and not having Larry Fitzgerald, I, I think we're we're going to talk about it juicy for the interview. Is not having Larry Fitzgerald in the top 100, I think, is ridiculous. Yeah, so. no, I, I totally agree with that. Interesting stuff. Dan Pompey join us around 745. Of course, anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports. Ira, here's a great deal for Ira on Sports listeners. We have a great way you can go to the Rose Bowl to see Michigan and Alabama play in the college football playoffs. Fly you from a private Boca Raton airport direct to the airport in Long Beach, California, avoiding dreaded LAX traffic, parking for free, stepping onto a luxurious private 30-passenger ER-145 jet with first-class seats, drinks, and snacks right to Long Beach. More information or to book your spot, 561-660-8540. The website's mjc30.com, 561-660-8540. And Ira, this, I mean, for someone like you, this is perfect. You're going to the game anyway. Why not avoid the hassle of going to Miami or Fort Lauderdale Airport, going to LAX? This is perfect. Oh, yeah. Well, I flew to Atlanta on through PBI, which is a great place to fly. But boy, Atlanta Airport, when you when you fly back, I think the, to prepare you to, for the Atlanta Airport is you should actually go to Disney World to the <laughs> where there's one roller coaster because the lines there like i am super vip with a tsa pre and clear upgrade and all this other stuff you still get there and, and you have to walk through line 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 and they finally get to this place and then it's like you know the, one of those rides where you think you're gonna get on the roller coaster and then it's like oh now you have to wait another 15 minutes mm -hmm. and then once you get through to the pre then you have to go through another more like this tram it's like you're going to new orleans it's awful lax this time of year is the worst anybody who is a bama fan mission fan or just like the rose bowl i think this is a perfect way to fly out there for it yeah once again private jet going from boca to long beach 561-660-8540. Ira, it's been decided. It's in the books. We have the college football playoff. I think you pretty much agree with it. I do not agree with leaving Florida State out, but explain to us how we got in the situation we're in. Well, uh, I just, we're going to get, how about we break that down at the end? I'm going to talk okay. about the two games I think, we're going to talk about the two games that I think are the biggest, the SEC and the uh, uh, Pac-12 games. But I do agree. I felt like, but the one thing we'll say, and then I'm going to go through the history, sort of how this is all done, is that there has been controversy since 1869 when there was only two teams that played in football, which is Princeton <laughs> Rutgers. And one game was at Princeton, one game was at Rutgers. One, Princeton won one game, Rutgers won the other. And two posters came out, and one poster said, Princeton's the national championship, and the other one said Rutgers. And since 1869, there has been debate after debate after debate. And that's what college football is all about. And guess what? Next year, it's not going to be like that because there will be 12 teams in it. But I like the fact there's a debate. I like the fact that we talk about these things. But this is not people who wake up and say, this is so unfair. This is the worst thing in the world. This has been going on, and I'm going to go through 
through a little history for three happens every year. Every year. You're never making everyone happy, but it's a selection like this. Um, let's talk about the game. You were there, SEC Championship in Atlanta. Tell us about how um, you know things went fan wise because obviously it's kind of a home game for Georgia, but it's not a home game for Georgia. But you said Bama showed up. Oh, it was 50-50. I was on the Bama side. I felt like it was awesome. First of all, everyone's wearing red because Georgia's colors are red and Alabama's are red too. So it's like all red, maroon, crimson, mm. all that type of stuff. But it was, the fans are amazing. I'm sitting there. I've been to 220 Penn State football games and I'm sitting around some people at a bar at the Hilton and a guy goes, I've been to 350, 335. I mean, this is unbelievable. These are true diehard yeah, fans. More with of a super everything. fan than you almost. Yeah, they're yeah. unbelievable. And they were great. And it's like, it was just so, and they are decked out with everything. Like they they come and they're they head to toe Bama like head they they must have like the stone store in their house <laughs> in terms of dress but like I do for Penn State but even more but it was it was so cool to be in the city and there was a, that game day was there which was pretty cool and just the whole aspect of it I think just being in the hotels walking around seeing the bar seeing the Georgia Alabama fans these are great fan bases and I think it added so much to the to the just the game and then the tickets were hard I mean last year I was able to sit in the club section which I love at Mercedes Benz because the club at the stadium lets you go on the field before the game, like literally on the field. And But it, it was super duper expensive. And this year, that year, I sat there for so for like half the price. I had to go for, actually price for like a third of the price. I had to sit like next to the club. Like I was like five seats away from the club, but still like on the 15, 20 yard line, I was able to have 15 rows up and see a good game. But last year at LSU, played Georgia. And I said, I was able to sit in the club for half what I paid for yesterday. You want to talk about Mercedes Benz uh, for people that haven't been there? I actually have been there. I got saw the Giants lose 41 to nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the stadium, beautiful, but a little bit of a wasted atmosphere around it. It feels like there could be more that you could do. We have Roger Dean Stadium has better amenities right outside. Oh, my gosh. It was, after the game was over, I was like, I'm going to go watch Michigan. I got to watch a Michigan game. I got to watch the Florida State game. I couldn't. The, there was one big bar called Hudson that's there. And it was all, lines out the door for that. There's some hotels there, uh, but it's like they're hard to get to. But it's like a combination. The State Farm Arena is there also. So the basketball arena is there. And then the football stadium is. And you would like to have more bars. So you could go downtown. And I actually went to the Westin, if you see a picture of Atlanta it's the round building so I went to the Westin and went sat at the bar there but it was not it's not that it, I think there should be way more bars I just don't know why there's not more right in that area it's pretty dead in terms of what it is but that's what I miss I, I you it's still walking from the Hilton to the game I like the fact that I don't have to park my car stay at a hotel and then you know and just go walk to the game it took 15-20 minutes to go there but you'd rather see more bars and restaurants that lie that atmosphere which I which miss which they they have the room for it's not like in the middle of nowhere they yeah. can put it but it just seems like they don't have that there yet and uh, hopefully soon. Um, do you want to talk about it? You were kind of surprised here because you typically get to a stadium as soon as possible. You like to get there early, get set up. Usually you're like the only one there. It wasn't the case here. at the Steeler game and for NFL games. They let you in like an hour and a half before. Sometimes the Heat games only let you in like an hour before. And then this game, they let you in two and a half hours before the game. Two and a half hours. So I felt it's one thirty games at four. I'll get in. It doesn't even start. Of course, at like four fifteen. Whatever. I got, I got there at two. I was like, it was packed. Like everyone was there. Crazy. Like everyone's walking around. Everyone's buying merchandise. Everybody had. I couldn't even get the pins in one, one place. I you know love to buy these pins. But it's amazing how packed it was at from that on in terms of doing. They do one good thing. At Mercedes Benz. First of all, the food is cheap. You have like Chick Fil A for like nine dollars for a whole meal, which is like so mm -hmm. expensive. And when you buy your soda, you buy a soda. They have the soda machines there, so you have free refills. You don't have to go back in line and wait for them to do it. You can actually just go to the free refill line. So I like that aspect. The fact that the prices are, are cheap, and also the fact that you can get just free refills on drinks made it a lot easier. Yeah, that's that was like revolutionary when they put that in. Like we're, we're not going to price <laughs> gouge, and their sales are up, of course, <laughs> as a result of it. Do you want to talk about? Um, 
kind of maybe Nick Saban and his, uh, I don't know what you call it, process, because he's a little bit uh, on top of things, no? Well, in Atlanta, he's 18-1 and one in Atlanta. He's won seven straight game, 17 straight wins. He's 9-1 and one in SEC Championship games, and he's 5-1 and one against Kirby Smart uh, in, 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 in overall to overall games. And he's 23-2 in rematch games. Remember, they had lost before you know the national championship game, so this was their chance. I saw them two years ago. Georgia played Alabama, and I saw Alabama win that game. But then, to, to like about a month later, I'm in Indianapolis, and I saw Georgia Georgia that win the national championship over over Alabama. The one thing I'll say from seeing those teams and now back at you know doing everything, and even last year I saw Georgia play Tennessee and then saw them in the national championship game also destroy TCU. The, these two teams were are a shell of what those teams are. There were, those teams were loaded with NFL players, offensive, defensive sides of the ball, everything. These two teams are not that good. Like I mean, I know that they're good. They're Georgia, Alabama, name only and stuff like that. But they don't have. And if you look at the draft charts, there's not a ton of like they're not gonna you're not gonna see the whole Philadelphia Eagles defense on the Georgia being drafted Georgia. This it just it happens. I mean, there's a time you reload, but there's a point where you just can't keep reloading on great players. And with the transfer portal and everything making it a little more difficult, players have more options to, to move around, have some freedom. They can make money, you know, but by getting NIL, where I don't need to go to Alabama necessarily to, to, to you know, get right. paid when I get to the league. Right. I mean, if you just see in the news, you're probably a little confused what's going on. Like 20 uh, quarterbacks are, are now in the transfer portal. Kyle McCord, who was the quarterback for Ohio State, was three years left, uh, decided he's going to be. He was a starting quarterback coming back, and, and Ryan Day said, well, we'll have a battle next year to see who the quarterback is. Well, then he's out the next day. Yeah. So every, you have a lot of these. Dylan Gabriel now was a quarterback at UCF, got hurt, and then he went to uh, Oklahoma, was a quarterback there, and now he's going to transfer again for his six year. So this is, you're dealing with the fact that these quarterbacks have six years or all the players have six years up for another year or two. They'll have that and they get paid and they can go transfer without sitting out a year. Yeah. This is the first time though. I mean, going back what past AJ McCarron, where Bama doesn't really have an NFL quarterback we're looking at. I mean, they've, they've had a really impressive run. They've got two first round wide receivers, always a top running back. Georgia's defense, like you said, Eight of the guys are getting drafted in the first round. We don't. We're not seeing that this year. And no, that's why these they're vulnerable. Yes, and that's what. And that's why this game. That's why I like. I mean, I do like Michigan. And if we're going to go, we'll jump a little ahead. I do like Michigan to win the national championship this year. This is their chance. This is to me. This is Michigan's year. They have the the quarterback at JJ McCarthy. They have this uh, leadership on the team. They're ready to go. But they look. They have to play a tough Alabama team. And Nick Saban is a great coach. And you saw in that game yesterday his ability. This is this is not James Franklin. We're talking about. We're not talking about Ryan Day. We're talking about a coach who who is a great CEO, who runs a great program, who can put a good game plan in and also adjust during the game and make changes during the game. And I, I sat right behind the Bama bench. He's actively involved in everything that goes on in that game. And uh, the one thing before we start talking about the game is like, even in the pregame warmups, unlike any other team, they have the balls lined out. Like for the quarterbacks to come out, everything is lined up perfectly. Like this is this is this is like a military operation when they're doing that their warmups, everything that Alabama does, and it, it starts from saving on down. It's that there's nothing to less for chance. They really are buttoned up. Everything. And not for nothing, if I was a great athlete, I don't know if I'd want to go there and deal with that. I can go to USC, make more money, live on the beach, or I can go to Alabama and, you know, have a, a dictator for a coach and Nick Saban. But he does get the results. Let's talk about the game, hour because this was really it was make or break for not only Alabama, but also for the playoff in general, because we were going to see probably something different happen if Georgia pulled out the win. So it was fun to be at the game because no one knew what was going to happen. If Alabama won, would they get in? And with Florida State, there was all those issues. So And Georgia felt like it was like they had to win to get in, too. So there was a whole issue. After the game was over, I was at that bar. It was fun because I'm watching the Florida State-Louisville game, and all the Georgia fans and Alabama fans are all rooting for Louisville. Of Louisville course, had fans yeah. everywhere. Everybody's rooting. They all came together to root for Louisville, and they're all just you know upset about how that, that game ended up. But uh, no, 
this game was interesting because in the first, Bama goes three and out. So you're like, okay, they're struggling with three and out. Georgia comes out there. That eight-play, 83-yard drive, Brock Bowers catches the ball for 23 yards, Lava Conkey 15 yards, and Milton runs in for 70 yards for a touchdown. After that play, I'm like, this is a blowout. Like, this is Georgia. Georgia came to play. I've seen this. is the Georgia team. I've seen just blow teams out. This is like TCU. I felt like I was watching TCU <laughs> last year. And that Bama goes three and out. They threw this long incompletions. And then the key thing that happens, they punted really well. They got good punters. They punted. Georgia was pinned back. They went three and out. And the Bama got in a good field position, gets a field goal, makes it 7-3. And then a key moment in the game, I thought, is that Georgia had the ball. And uh, Dewan Edwards ran the ball twice. Got was third and two. And then a third and two, you expect Georgia to get two yards. It's easy, Georgia. It's like the, the push, you know, from the mm. Eagles. And they could not get They lost yards on that. I'm like, wow, what does it matter with this Georgia offensive line not getting those two yards? Bama then goes. That fired them up. I mean, everyone was going nuts. It was going crazy. Bama went on a 10-play, 92-yard drive. Uh, Roydell Williams had great runs. They went down, just ran the ball through the throat. It was fourth and one on the 20, and they went for the, they went for it on fourth and one, which is Saban doesn't really like that fourth down going for it. Got the first down, and then Milro to Miller. Over, it was a crossing over the middle. And when he threw that, I'm like, I'm sitting on the side. I'm watching that. It was like nobody was in a million miles of uh, Miller in terms of running it in for that touchdown, made it 10-7. And then another key point in the game, Georgia was driving. They taught the ball. And then uh, Beck lost yards on a sack. And then there was a penalty. And they were on, like I think it was like the 19-yard line, ready for like a 30-yard field goal. It pushed it all the way back to the 50. For a 50-yard mm -hmm. field goal, they missed the 50. That's the three points for the deciding point in the whole game. So that was key that they missed that field goal. And then Bama gets the ball back. And it was third and 21. This is one of the weird things where you're at the game period. You don't know what to do. Or you, do you want to kick the ball back to Georgia or not? And it was third and 21, the Bama 46. And they threw for a 17-yard gain. Suddenly, it's, it's fourth and four. And it's Alabama's try, trying to draw uh, Georgia offsides. And they, they try to draw. Then they don't. They don't. They're going to go. And then they actually went for it. And I'm like, there. Saban's being super aggressive. He goes for it. Long pass to, to gets 22 yards. Then they go get a touchdown. I have amazing video of, of Milton. You know, some Milrow. Sometimes Milrow throws the worst passes and others are just perfect to Burton for a touchdown made it 17-7 at half and that was like wow I mean what a half for Alabama to take that lead to get control of that game and play well but you know Alabama's been in situations like that in the two years ago the national championship game and Georgia came back but they don't have sets and vet at this time but that was I felt like the big plays with the Alabama defense came up strong and Georgia after that first drive just could not do anything really the whole first half it's Iron Sports Trollies channel uh, Mike Balsamo 717 we're going to have Dan Pompey join us around 7.45. Second half here, Ryle, what, what happened? Both teams go three and out, and then Georgia had this long pass play, 51 yards, but they were stopped for a field goal. They still couldn't get that touchdown. I mean, they were struggling. Besides that that touchdown on the first drive, they couldn't do anything. 17-10. Then Bama forced a punt, but another good punt. And uh, this is when the game changed. Georgia was pinned down to six, and Card Beck, the quarterback, I, I didn't know what he was doing. He like tried to hand the ball off. I'm watching it. I'm only, I would say, I don't know, 30 feet away from him. And he just drops the ball. Mm -hmm. like And just the ball sitting there. Like Antonio Brown style. It's like <laughs> lying on the, not the Brown, Like uh, DeAndre Johnson style for the Steelers. The ball was dropped lying on the ground. No one's picking it up. And then Alabama falls on it. Then they get the ball at the 11-yard line. But they only kick a field goal. They make it 20-10. I'm like, there's their chance to go up 24-10. They only kick a field goal to go up 20-10 to 10 on that. And then the fourth quarter starts. Beck is sacked, forced to punt. Bama has a chance. At that point, I'm thinking Bama has a chance at 20-10 to 10 to win the game. Just go up three scores. Go, they, have, they go out, and they punt the ball. And then this is the one time they had a bad punt. Georgia returns the ball back. They score fast. They score, you know, get the ball to 50. They score fast. They make it 20-17. to 17. And then Bama, this is sort of like the Washington-Oregon game. 
So they get the ball back in the middle of the fourth quarter. Uh, they had it with a nine play, 75 yard drive, 430, and they finally score on a Milro to Bond crossing pattern of the middle, the same way they scored earlier on a touchdown to go up 10. And that's what they sort of like milked it up. And then Georgia, they you know, had five minutes left, they're down 10, score the touchdown, you know, go down and score a touchdown. But they wasted time going down there. It's actually first and goal in the sixth, they had to call a timeout, they couldn't get in. Alabama it sort of delayed it by two minutes, and that gave them, Bama only really needed like two first downs to run the clock out and hold on to win the game. But that was the key thing to me was that drive. It's like what we always talk about is the best defense at the end of the game is a good offense. Holding the ball, running the clock out, not letting the other team get the ball, and that's what they were able to do But uh, and win. Do you want to talk about Alabama's resume here a little bit? Because I, I feel like did not well. It, everyone was saying if, if Oregon had beaten Washington, Oregon was going to be in Washington and be out because Washington wasn't playing great down the stretch. Still undefeated. Alabama didn't really beat the up on teams that much this year. There was a sweat out almost every game for Alabama this year. It was a weird year for them, and it was weird because they started. You know what quarterback they were having? They, Bill Rowe has been benched like twice, mm-hmm. and, and now he's against Middle Tennessee. They had an easy game, then lose to Texas at home, and so and then they were the South Florida game. If you remember the South Florida game, they had a lightning delay, rain delay. They were going to lose that game. South Florida's one of the worst teams in football, so they barely won that game, seventeen-three. But they were awful. Then they had the big win against Mississippi. That was a game where they were underdog in that game. They came back. It was a big win for them, and then they beat Mississippi State. But then they barely beat Texas A&M, twenty-six twenty. Lucky to do that. They barely beat Arkansas, and they beat Tennessee, and then they beat LSU, and then they beat Kentucky. But then they almost they almost lost. I mean, they were down on fourth and 21 against Auburn and almost lost that game. So yeah, We wouldn't even be talking about it, this. We wouldn't be talking about it. They have two losses. But the Mississippi win helped them. The LSU win helped them. Mississippi and Georgia, because Mississippi and Georgia are also in the, in the New York Six Bowl games. Those are two wins. And the LSU win. So their resume was average, to say the least, or but okay enough, which I think that was, was better than the Florida State resume. We could go back and forth and terms of talking about that. But I think that, yeah, this was not the Alabama team that just blew out teams throughout the year. But the win over Georgia in the championship game was key for them. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. If you want to see Alabama take on Michigan in style, you can do it. Private uh, jet from Boca Raton, direct to Long Beach. That's right. You can avoid the dreaded LAX airport. Park for free. Get onto a luxurious 30-passenger ER-145 jet. First class seat, drinks and snacks, and like I said, right into Long Beach. For more information, 561-660-8540, 561-660-8540-MJC30.com. And one other point of the game, which I thought was funny, <laughs> yeah. is that there was there was a they showed the game as much as it was 50-50. I thought the Bama fans were louder. Like it was clearly down the little 50-50 because when the celebration was over, they the, they come out, they give the trophies, all that other stuff. Half the stadium left, half stayed. But the Alabama fans were so much louder, and they showed this little kid who was eating his like candies, and he's like showing his fist. He's like six years old, and he's always like you know showing this power that he's Alabama. And they show him, every fans would go crazy. And then they showed this Georgia kid the same age, and everyone would boo. And they kept doing that back and forth. And then they realized that they stopped. And that was being like in the first half. So in the second half, they kept showing like the bulldog, the Georgia mm. bulldog, instead. And the fans would boo. And I was like, I cannot believe how loud these Bama fans are in terms of because it's 50-50. And, and Georgia does have that reputation sort of being a quieter fan. So. But I was surprised by the fact that on a 50-50 thing, the Bama fans were so loud. And that little kid is probably the biggest celebrity now. Because they must have showed him 30 times on the board. Mm. Uh, like I said, Iron Sports, Trolley Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Pac-12 championship game, Ira. 
Washington beats Oregon. Not many people thought they were going to be able to do that. And you said this is one of your favorite games of the year. I thought, you know, I thought the first game was favorite when Oregon won 36-33. And I thought this was going to be a Washington. As someone who stays up till 2 in the morning, I'm an expert at this too. You know, all these things staying up there. I'm like, Oregon has just been blowing teams out this whole second half of the year after they had that loss. Bo Nix, to me, is an NFL quarterback ready to go. I thought he played, was fantastic. But they are, their kryptonite is Washington. I mean, this Washington team is crazy. I mean, just their resume is nuts in terms of after after they after they won the uh, Oregon game against Arizona State, who was one of the worst teams in the country, three and nine, they barely won the game, and, and Arizona State did not have a kicker, and so they kept coming down and trying to go the ball, go the ball. Otherwise, Arizona State would have won that game. They just had nobody to kick the ball at, at the end of the game. They kept going down and trying to go on fourth down constantly, mm-hmm. and they could have had field goals, and they barely won that game. They Stanford, they play. There was three and they were three and nine also for the year. They were twenty eight point favorite there. Three minutes to go. Stanford had the ball down 35-33. At USC, which was you know falling apart at the end of the year, was 42-42. Utah led late in the fourth against them. And Oregon State, they were only they only won by two. And Washington State, they needed a field goal at the end. So this is after that game, they had struggled this entire rest of the year, and Oregon was blowing everybody else. Yeah. I didn't think this was gonna be a close game at all. Washington Oregon was think of this. Washington beat Oregon, and Oregon still was favored by 10 points. I still think if they played again, I think Oregon still would be the favorite. I can't sure. believe it. But <laughs> this is, I'll tell you what, this is. Oregon is just it was crazy when I got to give Washington credit Washington knows how to beat these win these close games but also knows how to beat Oregon in that game you so. want to talk about this one now because I, I was excited for this one looking at two maybe day one NFL uh, players in Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, I mean, sir, clearly first round picks, both of them. And Washington drove down, got a field goal. Then Oregon, this is where, like, as someone who watches Oregon, I'm like, I'm waiting for them to score. Just touchdown, 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 touchdown. Sort of like what 49ers did yesterday. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I expected. Three straight passes to Tony Franklin. One hit the linesman, like the, um, the referee, and hit him right on his stomach. It was terrible. Washington goes 50 yards for a touchdown. And Nix, uh, I mean, to Dylan Johnson, it was a mix of Dylan Johnson, the running back, and Panics passing. And uh, the Oregon defense was terrible. I mean, which was, Great the rest of this year. So they're up 10 nothing. Then Oregon goes three on again. Like, there's no sense of urgency. Like, you got to match this Washington team. And then Washington goes first down. They dropped. They almost had another touchdown there. Then Oregon finally had a good drive. They went on fourth and four. So this is funny. In the first game, they were 0 for 3 on fourth down. This time, they decided to kick field goals. So on fourth and four, they made a 10 3. But then panics again through to Romeo Dunsey. You know, between Dunsey, McMillan, and Polk, they, they have three really, like, maybe top, you know, three or four round NFL wide receivers. Receivers made up, going up 17 and three. Then Oregon went out three again, three and out and punts. So this is three straight three and outs, like crazy for Oregon to do that. And then Washington goes, another pass to Dunsey McMillan, drive stops at, at the 20. And I thought, man, if they score a touchdown here and go 24 to three, this game is over. But they only get a field goal, make it 23. And then Oregon finally gets a drive together. Knicks looks tremendous, but runs and passes, makes it 20 to 10 at the half. So you're like, okay, now they're 20 to 10, you're still in the game. But I felt like, wow, Washington had their chance, and now Oregon's going to come and steamroll and go past them in the second half. And then in the second half, Oregon, fourth and five on their own, 47. They go for it. Now this is when they're starting to get aggressive. They go for it. They get that. And then Nick's had a 30-yard pass to Jordan James. was awesome. And fourth and goal on the two. They go for it again. Touchdown. This is why, you know, they're going on fourth downs. Exciting. Made it 20 to 17. And then Penix Jr., next play, throws an interception. Like, oh my gosh, the game's over. All the momentum is for Oregon. They're going to go score a touchdown. And what does Bo Nix do? This was one of those costly interceptions ever because 
because Bo Nix threw away on this interception a chance to maybe you know win the game, take control of the game, go to the college football playoffs, but also win the Heisman. That's where the Heisman all fell through. Like you went mm-hmm. in the game as the favorite, and on that interception, his odds probably just totally because <laughs> that was the chance. He throws an interception, then Washington drives down to the 28, goes on fourth and two, but they're stopped. So still Oregon gets the ball back. Nix runs for 44 yards. They come back. They take a 24 to 20 lead. So finally, okay. They've recovered for the interception. They're up 24-20. Everything's fine. Washington gets the ball at their own 25. And this is where also the game changes. Michael Penix Jr. goes back, and this is exactly what happened in the Michigan game. And we see in the NFL a little bit, where was the arm going forward mm-hmm. or not? They ruled it was incomplete pass. So on the stat line, it goes incomplete pass for Penix Jr. But that could have been a fumble recovered by Oregon to go up then 31-20. That was key right then and there. They ruled incomplete pass. Then what does Washington do? They drive the whole way down there, and the Oregon defense belt, they made it 27-24. And then I'm like, okay, Oregon's going to come. They're going to score a touchdown. What do they do? They have to punt the ball. Then Washington goes on this 12-play, 82-yard drive. I mean, everything. Penix was running, passing, perfect, and goes up now 34-24. That was the game. I mean, to go and to, and, to, uh, and to just milk the clock like that. They let Oregon score a touchdown, but again, they got the ball back. Did the, you know, Oregon's defense just let them down and could not stop them and was able to hold on for the win. And then for the game, I mean, Washington, uh, Knicks was 21 for 34, 239, three touchdowns in her interception and Panix Jr. was this almost the same, you know, 319 yards, one touchdown, one interception. But Dylan Johnson, the running back, ran well, 152 yards. Oregon's defense, and I just I mean it was one of those things where I, I think Oregon, I've watched them play all year, they're a phenomenal team, but they are just they are just gonna they are kicking themselves for this loss because it was a tough one. But Washington, look, all credit to them. Great win, great game. They won. And maybe all those close games they played at the end of the year helped them win this type of close game. Definitely could have been. Uh, yeah, like I feel bad for Oregon a little bit. Not as bad as I feel for FSU, but Oregon was just so exciting to watch all year. Very complete team, and we're not going to get you know the pleasure of seeing them uh, moving on. Uh, where do you want to go from here? Conference uh, USA here because. Malik Willis in the league two years now. Liberty is still relevant. <laughs> well, I would. Stuff. I want to mention about Liberty. We had Jamie Chadwell on our show when he was at Coastal Carolina. He went to Liberty. He's 49, 46 years old. I think he's going to be a big name coach. He now their team. We're talking about undefeated. They're thirteen and zero too. So as much as Florida State says we're not thirteen zero, they're thirteen zero. They're going to be in a New Year's Six game. Big win for the Liberty winning Conference USA over New Mexico. But I would love to get Jamie Chadwell on the show because I thought that was in terms of there was a lot of teams like Tulane. Everybody was in the mix to see who was going to be that other that group of five team to get in. And Chadwell, who did such a great job at Coastal Carolina, does such a great job at Liberty. He is someone who is going to be a major college. Like you're going to see him coaching at a major college very soon. Let's go to the uh, Big 12 championship. It was Texas taking on Oklahoma State. Not much of a game. You know, I'm in the hotel and I'm like, I'll watch the first half and then, you know, I'll get to the game. We'll see what happens. It was I watched the first quarter. You didn't need to. <laughs> it was 35-14 at halftime. It was unbelievable. Uh, Oklahoma State really, I mean, Oklahoma State's a team that lost to UCF, that, that lost to UCF 45-3. They lost to South Alabama 33 to 7. They beat Oklahoma because of this weird, you know, how the, it worked out. They, they were in the championship game. They didn't really deserve it, but I give Texas credit. They played amazing. Ollie Gordon was averaging 165 yards rushing, only ran for 34 yards. And uh, this was just, you know, humongous win. Uh, it's amazing. It's the fourth big. Big 12 title for Texas since 1996. That's a long time for a team like Texas. And then they're leaving. So this is it. And now everyone's chanting SEC, SEC. Because if you look at the finalists, the four finalists, there are two. Washington's in the Big Ten and and Texas will be in the SEC. So you'll have two SECs and two two Big Tens. But um, And then Sarkeesian, the the coach of Texas, what's interesting, he was at Washington for five years. So he's going to play Washington. He was at Washington for five years and he left for USC and then he was fired from USC and then he was an Alabama assistant 
and then he went to Texas. So he's sort of he has connections to all the schools there. But it, Texas is a weird. Their resume is weird. I, I felt like they've clearly going to Bama and beating a team that won this in Bama at the beginning of the year was crucial. And that's why these teams should play these games because that really gave them a lot of, uh, you know, that was their big thing on their resume. They lost Oklahoma. They almost lost to Houston. They were they were when Ewers got hurt and they beat Kansas State. I watched this game. They blew a 24-7 to lead uh, against Kansas State, won in overtime. Against TCU, again, they almost blew that game. They won 29-26. But the last couple games, they've blown them out. But Texas is, I mean, I went to the Texas-Kansas game. I've seen in person Georgia. I've seen in, in, in person, I mean, Alabama. I saw Texas play Kansas, and I saw Michigan play twice. So I've been to seeing, you know, everybody but Washington I saw this year play. Speaking of Michigan, they were taking on Iowa in the uh, Big Ten Championship. This was one that you could anticipate was going to be kind of ugly because Iowa plays very good deep, but they can't score the ball at all, and that's what it was. It ended up being a shutout. This is Iowa was thirty-one nothing to Penn State in one of the worst games. Minnesota twelve ten. They never they didn't play Ohio State or Michigan all year. I think if they would have played, they wouldn't have got in the game. They were lucky with like their scheduling. Um, you know when I, when Michigan returns the ball eighty-seven yards on a punt made it ten nothing. They just sort of cruised. I mean Iowa had six punts. Their first seven possessions were six punts and a fumble. They had fifty total yards the first half. Uh, it, Iowa had three turnovers. It, it, Michigan didn't play well this game, but they still won twenty-six nothing. That's the one thing that Michigan's done all year. When you look at their scores, 30 to 3, 35-7, 31-6, 31-7, 45-7, 52-10, 52-7, 49-0. I mean, they just blew everybody out, including Penn State, and except for the Ohio State game, which but again, these teams weren't very good, but they won those games, and this is why Michigan is the number one seed. Going to the ACC title, Florida State taking on Louisville. And this was one again, major implications for both teams here. We're going down to a third-string quarterback for FSU as well, but they did what they had to do to win. Uh, it was what a game. I mean, again, it's so weird to be in a bar and have everybody rooting for Louisville, which they wouldn't even care what Louisville is. And that, by this time, they're drunk. You have drunken fans screaming for Louisville. Brock Glenn, freshman, comes in 8 for 21 for 55 yards. It was 3 nothing at the end of the first half. Then it was 10-3 Florida State. And Louisville, just who had lost a pinning a ducky, just did, could not get anything going offensively. Florida State played great defense and just really just sort of, you know, they definitely just hung on and won this game. But it was a it was an... Uh, I think, you know, they talk about when the Ohio State was on their third string, Caldwell Jones, in terms of Cardell Jones and user, and, but they blew out like Wisconsin 49 nothing. I think if Florida State would have gone in this game and would have won like 42 to nothing or something like that, that would have been a big difference. I think the fact this game was so sloppy, that hurt. There's all the things that hurt Florida State. I think this game being ugly like that, it's like they don't want them to be a 20 point underdog against Michigan. There's another thing about why I didn't think, I thought if they put Florida State in, they'd make Texas four. I don't think they, the people, like Michigan, and they did not want to give them a bye to play Florida State that first round. So that was another aspect where I think that Florida State hurt. You know, their year, Florida State's year, they beat LSU. That was huge for them at the beginning of the year, 45-34. Um, and then, but boy, they almost lost to Boston College. They played Clemson when Clemson wasn't very good. And Clemson blew that game. They were leading 24-17. And then they had another, you know, close game against Miami. But then they won well against Florida after they lost Travis and Louisville. But losing Jordan Travis, losing their starting quarterback, uh, you know, that definitely played a role in terms of what they did at the end of the year. It's Iron Sports, Drew Oldie's channel, and Mike Balsamo about oh, 10 minutes or so. So Dan Pompey will join us, talk about NFL's top 100 players of all time. Ira, do you want to kind of get into the history of this a little bit? Because 
we were talking off air and on air. There's a controversy kind of with this every single season. Yeah, and it's that it's it. This is the last time we'll ever have a show because we're not going to sit here and talk for like all this time about 12 or 13. Like that's what, no one talks about 64, 65 no. and then say a tournament. And that's what I feel bad about because I do love the fact that the regular season does matter and we have debates. But this is a debate. We talked about 1869. But then since then, there were so many polls. AP writers, UPI. There was a thing called Football Writers, the Harris Interactive, Helms Athletic, Internet, the Balsamo poll. I mean, everybody came out with a poll. National <laughs> Football Foundation. So everybody had polls. In 1915, there were five teams, Cornell, Minnesota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Pitt. They were all undefeated. They were all champions, some polls. Everybody has a poll. You go to these games, all the stadiums, they put all their national championships. They're like some year, it's like everybody's been a champion that year. Everybody gets a poll. Then the bowl's complicated because people after the year would go to bowls and they would be saying, oh, well, Penn State brings a lot of fans, we'll bring there. Then the bowls had tie-ins, like the Rose Bowl had the Big Ten and the Pac-12, Pac-10 teams. And then sometimes they would give polls out, like the, the uh, uh, the polls would give the UPI would wait would, before the regular season after the regular season ends would make a champion but AP would wait till after the poll season was and you talk about the committees that make decisions and with the people in the room in 1969 Penn State was 11-0 Texas was 11-0 but Richard Nixon wanted to the state of Texas he needed the votes there so he went to the Cotton Bowl and said the winner of this game is going to be the <laughs> Texas play Notre Dame is going to be the national champion now that's just because Richard Nixon wanted the votes Penn State beat Missouri in the Orange Bowl 10-3 Texas beat Notre Dame and Texas became the national champion just because Richard Nixon said they should be the national champion. And then in 1973, Bama was 11-1 and Michigan was 10-0-1. And uh, it was, this was, was, you had Notre Dame was 11-0, Ohio State 10-0. Everybody was a champion. It was crazy. And the way that when Notre Dame was the AP champ, because after the Bulls, they were the champion, but then they played Alabama. I mean, Notre Dame beat Alabama in the bowl game, in, in the Sugar Bowl. But because Bama was, and you can see Bear Bryant, a number of trophies that he's won for, for uh, champions, he was rude the champion, even though he lost in the bowl game because UPI gave them mm-hmm. the champion after the season was over, then they lost to Notre Dame. So it's always been crazy. 90-91 split polls, Colorado, Georgia Tech, you had all these polls. So finally in 92-94, they said, we have a bowl coalition, everybody's going to be in, we're going to try to put one versus two, but the Big Ten's not involved. And then that that brought in <laughs> Big Ten and the Pac-12, Pac-10 were involved, but that's the whole Penn State issue where Penn State and I2 had the best team I've ever seen. Kerry Collins, Kyle Brady, Bobby Ingram blew out everyone. They beat USC, Michigan. They beat Ohio State by 50 points at home. They were number one in the country. I'm at the Polo Grounds Bar in New York. They're up by Indiana by like 25, 30 points. They put the reserves in with the final two minutes. Indiana scores these two touchdowns. They, they get an onside kick, all this stuff. So they end up winning by a touchdown. Well, they flipped. They were two. Nebraska was one. And then Penn State goes on and wins the Oregon and when beats the Rose Bowl by 20. They killed the Oregon. Nebraska beats Miami in the Orange Bowl. They give Nebraska the title, not Penn State. So how about that? Penn State had the best team I've ever seen. So there's always been this type of controversy. Then there was the Bowl Alliance, still no Big Ten, Pac-10. Finally, the BCS came in, and they were then using rankings with computers, and they were involved, and the BCS played, and they picked the games after the bowl games. They played another game. And then since the last nine years, we've had this playoff where where everybody's involved. And one thing that's helped the playoffs is the Pac-12 has rarely been involved in this. So this is like yeah. this year you're getting Washington, but the uh, the Pac-12 that has only had teams in of the nine years, only three of the nine years. So that sort of allowed other teams to go in with this. And of course, the SEC has been had 12 teams in nine years. The Big Ten has had nine, ACC eight. And uh, a lot of times, I mean, the one people talk about the controversy is in 2000. There's been so many every year. We talk about 
is like our only controversy. 2016, Penn State beat Ohio State at home. Penn State won the Big Ten title over Wisconsin, but they did not get to go. They took Ohio State because Penn State had two losses. Mm-hmm. Ohio State only had one, and they didn't win. They didn't win the Big Ten title, but they still went. So you had that situation where TCU even last year, remember they lost to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. They lost to the game, still got to the went to the game, and then uh, there's other situations where that has happened where teams have got in. So it's always been controversial. And so I really think that in the end, it was like, I think Bama, I think there was a lot of factors. Jordan Travis being hurt, if he was healthy, I think Florida State would have been in, but he was hurt. And that's one of the criteria they didn't get in. I think Bama had these big wins that they characterized over in terms of those wins that they put a lot of emphasis on, the Georgia win, the Mississippi win, and Florida State's wins were earlier. And I think Bama, they won it against Michigan. They wanted a better team against Michigan in the Rose Bowl. This is a big game. They don't, they, the line is like one and a half, two points. They did not want a 21, 22 point line and that's why i think they took uh alabama over florida yeah it it would have been 17 point you know or more but still i got about florida state and you're you're a a power five undefeated team like i don't care you have to be in this really messed everything up with the texas having the win because then you have to put texas in if you're gonna put alabama in i know it's inconceivable for college football fans to say, well, the SEC has no team in this? Maybe not. You know, like, One Power Five is going to get left out every year. Why is it so imp- impossible for it to be Alabama or you know the SEC when it's the most down those two teams have been in a decade? I, for me, I just feel really bad for Florida State and their fans. I feel bad, but again, if Florida State was going to get in there, not saying who thought they would win the, t- the championship. Like The thing is that if Jordan Travis was healthy and then they, they had a chance. but Nobody, they, but they deserve it. They deserve There's There's always a, a deserving an eye test. And you always don't want to say who the best team is. I mean, like if if Patrick Mahomes was injured and then came back at the end of the year, that's the best team. I mean, you always have to do. There's a there's a mixture, I think, of winning games during the season, your record, and also how good you are. And in this this situation, I think Alabama just it seemed like. You know, I, I Florida State fans are very, very upset. Even though, you know what's so funny is the Florida and Miami fans are happy the Florida oh, State fans. Yeah, like, like, I was in. nervous. I was going to go on my show and someone said, are you going to criticize the Florida State people are going to be so mad at you? And I'm like, yeah, but the Miami and Florida fans will be happy that I'm going to say <laughs> that Alabama should get in. So um, going to a rematch of last year's NFC Championship game, it was the game everyone was looking forward to. 49ers taking on uh, Philadelphia Eagles in Philly. And Ira, this game, I, I do think these are the two best teams in the league. But maybe we didn't get to see that from, from the Eagles last night, or maybe the 49ers just really that good. Have you ever seen anything? We talked about how great the 49ers are when they're healthy. Um, they were down 6-0. They come out before halftime and score two touchdowns. They make it 14-6. They come out of halftime and four, score four straight touchdowns. They scored six straight touchdowns against Philadelphia, which is unbelievable. Uh, Brock Purdy, 314 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. But when you look at their weapons, McCaffrey, Samuel, Kittle, Ayuk, those are four great weapons. And, and it's just those are the weapons that are just amazing and their defense came to play and Philadelphia tried to muck it up and everything they did in terms of I mean winning last year against uh, the Josh Johnson the quarterback I guess this is this was the revenge game that they wanted uh, and then I do it just felt like this is it just got away from Philadelphia and Philadelphia's played these close games and maybe they're just worn down from playing Buffalo and Dallas and those all these tough games and Kansas City but again this is uh, this was a bad this was this was 49ers saying we're the best team in the NFL for sure there was a statement game for them my Miami and the and the Commanders, and this was one meant watching Tyreek Hill and then the chemistry that he has, whether it be with Patrick Mahomes or Tua, is just exciting. He's great for the game. Amazing, and 
I could see the argument that he should be the the, the MVP. For sure. I, I mean, I, I, I'm starting to come around to this because those first two plays were— and this was a good win for Miami. This is the reason. They have not played well on the road. They haven't played well in England. They haven't played well when they go other places. So this was nice for them to come into a bad conditions where it was foggy. You're trying to adjust your TV set. It doesn't work. It's rainy. It's all this mess. And Sam Howell played well. They shut down Sam Howell at 120 yards uh, passing. And uh, Miami did what they do, 406 yards, uh, 20 first downs, two almost 300 yards in Tyreek Hill. There's two long touchdowns. Touchdowns, 157 yards. Defense played great. They got a chain back. They're running back. Most start. Everything started working. But I like the fact that if they ever have to go on a road to play a game, which they hope they don't, they want to have the number one seed. They look good in this game, so that was important. And this is what I'm looking at now. You know, as as a fan, is we went into the season with, but the AFC is the, the good conference. Now we're looking at, like, I do think the Dolphins are good. I think the Ravens are good. I would take the three teams at the top of the NFC to beat any team in the AFC. Right. So it's crazy how our perception flips very quickly totally, when it comes it to the to- NFL. It's, it totally flipped. That San Francisco and Dallas and Philly look like a totally elite, and everyone in the AFC is, if Miami is the best team or Jacksonville, they're like, okay, they're like five, four, five, and six. You're almost saying Detroit is equal to them or something. Yeah, like no, for sure. And the reason we say that is because last night, Kansas City taking on Green Bay. Line is a seven points here, and it's Patrick Mahomes, greatest quarterback of generation, versus a guy who we're not even sure can play in the league, who's just been looking great. Congratulations to the Packers. How about the Green Bay Packers are 16-0 and 0 in December under Matt LaFleur. That is amazing comfort. But um, I, I, again, I'm not ready to make Jordan Love a superstar. I, I was at the game. People say, Jordan Love is playing so great. I'm going to go, wait, wait. We just saw him play three weeks ago. I was in Pittsburgh when he got to throw interceptions. So he wasn't that great in that game. So I'm not ready to jump in. But, wow, it, this was – he outplayed Mahomes. And, but this is the problem with the Kansas City's had. They don't have the wide receiver. They don't have the weapons. They're dropping balls. And at the end of the game, though, those, those crazy – I mean, uh, Mahomes – Nevada Scanlink was clearly interference, should have been called. They were down 27-19. And then the Hail Mary, there's always going to be some pushing and shoving in the end zone with that. But it was funny that Jonathan Owens, who is married to Simone Biles, was the one who pushed Travis Kelsey, who's dating Taylor Swift. So you got all the celebrity type going on right there. So I thought that was that was a cool mix. Um, I just thought that Mahone's interception at 24-19, um, when they were losing 24-19, Mahone's threw that bad interception. That was just uncharacteristic of him in such a key moment of the game. The frustration, it's just a bad path but uh it was look a big win for green bay they're still in the playoff hunt at six and six in kansas city at eight and four just not looking good that game carolina taking on tampa and tampa when they do win it's usually pretty ugly and when you're playing carolina it's usually not that hard to win but they squeak this one out and uh you know that mike evans continues to to impress week in and week out mike baker mayfield threw 202 yards passing Mike Evans had 162 of the 202. <laughs> he is amazing. Like, can you cover him? And Carolina is just, this is just frustrated with them. And Frank Wright said it was fired and everything. But boy, they have just had so many problems. They're 1 and 11. And the worst thing for Carolina is they don't have their pick. They traded their pick for Bryce Young. So they don't even have that. Chicago has that pick. So it's really a bad season for Carolina. We're going to talk about a game uh, coming up in just one second that was just ugly. But there was another one that wasn't so pretty either, Ira. It was your Steelers. I know Kenny Pickett got injured in this one, but uh, Kyler Murray and James Conner came to play. Arizona with a big win over the Steelers. Steelers. Well, first of all, Arizona is a two one, had won two ones going in the game. But Kyler Murray has been missed most of the season, came back, and he's a good quarterback. So they come back. Steelers got a field goal to start the game, and then it just you know, started being the normal Steelers nothing. But they go on this 12-play drive, eight minutes. They get down to the one-yard line. Pickett gets hurt on the play. They bring Mitch Trubisky to go on fourth and one. Najee Harris gets stopped for the goal line. What happens? The Cardinals go down on a 98-yard drive. They score a touchdown. This Trey McBride, who is a great tight end for came them. Came out of they, nowhere. Out yeah. of great plays. Eight catches for 89 yards for the game. They take 
like a 10-3 game. Then you go to halftime. There's a rain delay for a lightning delay for almost like an hour and a half. So they, they, the Steelers game ended like at 9 o'clock at night. They go, they come back. Steel, you know, everything was a mess. And then they come back and the, the Cardinals score another touchdown. James Conner comes back to Pittsburgh where he played for the Panthers. He also played for the Steelers. Comes back, had a great game, with, you know, uh, rushing for 100 yards and two touchdowns. And just a disaster in the second half to the point where DeAndre Johnson scores a touchdown, meaning a touchdown in the game, does a celebration. Now everybody's criticizing him for having a celebration. Mm-hmm. Like you're losing this game, you know, it's over, it's, you know, 24 to 10, and you're celebrating like you just won the Super Bowl. Yeah, he's uh, not really gaining much favor. And, and in Pickett, Kenny Pickett now is going to be out for, they said, two to four weeks. So at the Steelers, who are sitting at, you know, seven and five, they have the Patriots on Thursday. The schedule is the easiest schedule you could possibly imagine, and they still are struggling away. This is a, what of a mess for a year. What a gross game at the L.A. Chargers and the Patriots. Bill Belichick, I mean, he's got to walk away if, if Kraft doesn't let him go after the season. I know he just signed an extension, but what's going on here? And Brandon Staley finally won a game. I'd still have fired him. They're only scoring six points out there yesterday. Six nothing in this one. This is the third time in a row, third game in a row, the Patriots have given up 10 or fewer points and lost the game. This has not happened since 1938 with the Chicago Cardinals that a team, their <laughs> offense is anemic as you possibly could. Like, they could bring Tom Brady right now without anything. I mean, anything would be improvement. Like, this yeah. is absolutely Bailey Zappa he was the quarterback. Total disaster. The Chargers eight punts. New England's average starting position was the 13-yard line. 11 possessions. They started inside the 13 seven times. Disaster for game. They were shut out at home. It was a it just how to be a Patriot fan and seeing all the glory you had and now have two wins. Now they do have their draft pick. So this is going to be important who they pick as their quarterback. So where do we stand here? Because as we were saying earlier, the AFC is kind of the one that's up for grabs whereas we thought it was going to be the more, the more competitive conference. You know what's so weird about it? It's the divisions are almost set. Miami's at 9-3, and three, Buffalo's at 6-6. Six and six. There's only five games to go. They got that division. Baltimore's at 9-3. and three. The Steelers and Browns at 7-5. Baltimore is their division. Jacksonville's 8-3. Colts and Texans are at 7-5. They're two games up there, and Kansas City eight and four, and Denver's at six and six. So Miami, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Kansas City all have their divisions all wrapped up. So you're having all these other teams, you know, six and sixes and everything, all fighting for those three wild cards. You know, Browns, Texans, Colts, Denver, Buffalo. Anything can happen. I'll tell you what, the Bills KC this week is a big game because I think the Bills with Josh Allen, everyone's like writing them off. They're a team that they're they're only one. He game wants out, to play Patrick Mahomes as well, and they're <laughs> only one game out of the wild card. So of all the teams that you're looking at, the quarterbacks they have, you know that that. That's the one where I always say, look, Buffalo, Josh Allen, that's the team I think is definitely going to make the playoffs. We'll talk about Monday Night Football when we get back. Let's go to Dan Pompey here on Iron Sports. Just jumping to the defensive players on, for a second, White was five, and then you had Buckus at 10, and then you had, and then what I was. I thought Joe Green was better than Reggie White. Now, I'm biased. I'm a Steeler fan. but And you did emphasize in the book of, like, of all the Steelers who are in the in the Hall of Fame and all there's, I think, 29 Hall of Famers, he's the, considered the greatest. And he was the one who started the whole thing, and it was excellent. And they actually have a school. The, you know, they t- named the nickname of the school, North Texas, after him, the Mean Green. But I thought Green was better than White, but maybe a little bias there. I think you can make that argument. You know, uh, what's interesting is that we've got uh, – I believe one, two, three, four, five, six Steelers from the, those Steel Curtain teams are in our top 100. So he, uh, you know, while, while he was probably the greatest of, of all of them, you know, again, he was he was on a great dynasty with a great coach. The thing about Reggie White that I'll always remember is that you know he was this incredible player with the Philadelphia Eagles. And then he goes to the Green Bay Packers, and he makes them a Super Bowl winner, or helps make them a Super Bowl winner, of course, with Brett Favre and 
Mike Holmgren and some other great players, but um, you know he he was really able to lift another franchise, which is special. It's hard. The offensive line position is, as you mentioned, there's so fewer in your top 100. It's hard to say who's the best. And you did put Munoz at 12 from the Bengals. People might remember him. Went to USC, was phenomenal, 11-time All-Pro. But talk about, I mean, guess the difficulty of ranking these offensive linemen and, and what, what separated Munoz from the other offensive linemen, for, I think, for you to have him as the top offensive lineman. Well, the thing about offensive linemen, obviously, there's no statistics. And it's difficult to judge... Uh, one against the other because, you know, you, the only thing you could look at is, uh, you know, do they pass the eye test and what did people say about them and what kind of honors did they have? Um, you know, you know, the guy that the guy, the people who put this book together saw play and, you know, he, he was just dominant in any way you, you could think of. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, we are probably, most of us were too young to see, for instance, uh, Jim Parker at his peak. But he was a guy who could have been ranked higher. Again, you know, maybe it's recency bias. Uh, Forrest Gregg had been considered the greatest uh, tackle for a long time, too. He got him at 36. You know, maybe he, he could have, should have been ranked higher. Uh, we did have John Hanna at 27, the great Patriots guard. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard, though, with the offensive linemen. It really is because – you know, how, how great is great and who's greater than who, it, it's, you, you could get into a lot of debates that way. I liked one of the, the, the people in the my production room where they were in retreat by this. You had Ronnie Lott at 19, the great San Francisco 49er player, and then you had Dion, who everybody now knows, <laughs> coming back to a 22, and the question is they sort of agreed. They go Lott was a better tackler, cover, all those things, and then even though they went, one played safety, another played corner, but you had Lott at 19 and, and uh, Sanders at 22. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I don't think many people would argue with that. Although uh, Dion was a great playmaker who impacted games, you know, with with big plays, right? Not only on defense but special teams as well. So he gave you a, a dimension that you know really lit up teams. And you know, you, you talk about uh, what he did for the Forty ers then what he did for the Cowboys. Of course, started off with the Falcons, but. Um, and then bounced around a little after that. But he had a great impact on his team. So uh, 22 is, is not too shabby. <laughs> we're not diminishing him at all. And we're going to switch to the quarterbacks a little bit. I agree with you on Peyton Manning at seven. I think people talk about, first of all, they said, well, the second Super Bowl really wasn't his. I felt like he led that team in Denver. I think what he did was to win the Super Bowl, so it counts. So he did get the two Super Bowls. He was tremendous. So I, I, you put him behind Montana at seven. Montana was six, Manning at seven, and United's at nine. I think old-timers would have United's ahead of Manning, so I think that would be one of the debates. And then you had Otto Graham at 11, who won, people don't remember, in the 50s, won, ten, was it, what, 10 championships? What, 10 championships in 10 years, and he won seven of those. Uh, but that was like, and then Elway at 15 and Marino at 18. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, you wonder with Peyton if he had not played in the same era as Tom Brady, uh, how many championships he would have won, right? Uh, and, and then the other interesting one to me is Dan Marino at 18, who might have been the greatest passer of all time, really. You know, he could have been higher than 18, without a doubt. Uh, Otto Graham, you mentioned him. Certainly, he could have been higher. I think there was a long period of time when he was considered the greatest 
quarterback of all time. And then the other one that was interesting was, was uh, Sammy Baugh. Uh, we had him, let's see, 25. And, uh, you know, th- there was a long period of time when Sammy was considered the greatest passing quarterback that ever happened. Now, he it was a completely different time when, you know, the quarterback was the size of a, uh, a watermelon or something, you know. And, <laughs> but, but he was doing things with it that no one else had ever done. And then I guess, I mean, one of the big debates would be Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers at 21, ahead of Farb at 24, Drew Brees at 43, but then like the guys like Young and Starr and Bradshaw Staubach at Tarkington, you had Rodgers way up there. And I think people would say, wait, well, Troy Aikman's like, wait a second, like I've won three Super Bowls and Rodgers and I played in semi, you know, after the year, but people still remember Troy. How's Troy now in the top 100 and Rodgers at 21? Yeah, good question. You know, I think... uh... One of the things that I tried to do when I thought about these rankings was say, all right, if you took this player and you switched him with that player and, you know, they were on each other's teams, you know, would they have won more? If, if you put Aaron Rodgers on the Cowboys of the 1990s, would he have won three Super Bowls? Would, would he have won four Super Bowls? Would he have won five? You know, I think uh, – I think those are questions that kind of help guide you. And, you know, if you look at, obviously, Aaron didn't win as many Super Bowls as Troy, but uh, he clearly was, you know, a wonderful passer who did some things with the football that very few others had, had done. And, you know, if, if uh, you know, maybe the, if he had better players around him, you know, we, this wouldn't be a debate at all. Yeah, but I think the seven. I think you shortchanged a little the seventies quarterbacks. I mean, Bradshaw was at was at seventy, <laughs> Staubach at seventy nine, and Tarkington at hundred. I mean, these are players I grew up when I was real little, so maybe I think they're greater than they were. But I feel like Staubach and Bradshaw and Tarkington should have been a little moved up there rather than be back. I mean, it's not wrong to be back at the hundred, and they're ahead of Kelly, who doesn't even make it, and Troy and Kurt Warner. But the fact is, I I like those. I mean, I felt like those three from growing up. Those to me, the Bradshaw and Staubach, they great Super Bowl battles they had that they should be a little higher and Bradshaw winning four. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, Bradshaw again played with a great team though. Right. I mean, not, not to diminish what he did. He's a hall of famer. He's a top 100 player, but, uh, you know, he had two hall of fame wide receivers, hall of fame coach, hall of fame running back, hall of fame center, uh, you know, and, and then he had maybe the greatest defense of all time. So, he, he was in a great, great position. Uh, Fran Tarkenton, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of admiration for him. Uh, as a kid growing up, too, I used to love watching him play. Uh, he did not win a Super Bowl, interestingly enough, uh, which, you know, do you penalize a guy for that? Uh, I don't think you really can as much as you can maybe give a guy more props because he did win the Super Bowl. And then we're going to move to the wide receivers. And I swear, of, of all the categories, there's one thing that this Rice at three, you can't debate. Hudson, I didn't see, but I've heard rumors. You know, everyone says how rumors. You hear how great he is. And then Randy Moss at 38. But at 56, it's the one, when I saw the name, Julio Jones, I'm like, am I missing? Was he a player in the 50s or 40s? I'm like, Julio Jones at 56? I'm just shocked because considering who you left off, even in the top 100, no Calvin Johnson, no Larry Fitzgerald, no Art Monk, no uh, T.O. or Michael Irvin or Marvin Harrison. And, And I just don't, I mean, I think Antonio Brown is better than Julio Jones. I was shocked by 56 for Julio Jones. 
Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. And um, the way we got to that was uh, my co-author, Mike Sandow, came up with uh, a way of measuring wide receivers based on their value, their, their statistical value during the eras they played. Because one of the most difficult things is, is to compare receivers throughout the era, right? Because things have changed so much in the passing game in the NFL. And Julio, if you look, he really uh, dominated his era, obviously still playing, uh, in a way that, that not a lot of receivers had. I mean, he was uh, first in the league in receiving twice. He was second three times, third once. Um, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. He's And he played in an era with, you know, a lot of a lot of receivers that you could talk about for this book or for the Hall of Fame. So um, that's that's how he got on that list. I understand your argument, though. I probably if, if I could do it again, I'd probably have him a little lower. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at debates. Like I again, I I watch both. This is this is someone you can't. It's hard to argue Don Hudson. I didn't watch him play a game, but I've seen Julio Jones. He's my fantasy team many years. So you watch him play, and you watch Antonio Brown play, and then to me, in my mind, it's as crazy as Antonio Brown. Forget about everything else or off the field. But the fact is, I thought Antonio Brown was a better wide receiver and was more impactful. So, but you know, with the numbers and with everything like that. So that's what I was just surprised, at, especially where he was ranked and everything on that aspect. And then um, to move to the to the uh, tight ends, you know, you have Gronkowski at forty six. Is there a thought that maybe that might be considering he's viewed as so great and dominant, and they won the super the championships and everything? Maybe forty seven might be a little too low for Gronkowski. Well, um, I mean, I'm comfortable with him there. I wouldn't move him up any higher. You know, I, I think uh, the tight end debate was interesting. You know, again, because you go back in time and you look at some of the, the old time tight ends that weren't getting the kinds of opportunities in the passing game that Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey would get. And, you know, in their eras, you know, guys like John Mackey and Mike Ditka uh, were, were every bit as important to their teams. Um, you know, we've got Gronkowski way ahead of Tony Gonzalez too, who, I mean, you talk about a hell of a weapon as a, as a receiver, you know, that there weren't many better than him. Uh, both for the Chiefs and Falcons, so you know, I think I think we're okay with. I'm, I'm okay with what we have, Greg. And then the last point is the running backs. I mean, Brown at two, and then Walter Payton at eight, Sanders at 23, and the all-time rushing leader, Emmett Smith at 29. I think Cowboy fans are at this point ready to say, wait a second, no Troy Oakman. You have Smith behind Payton and Sanders, even though I think most people might think that's that's correct, but you, because you did have him ahead of Dickerson, Falk, and Gail Sayers and O.J. Simpson. But uh, I, it, the running backs, because the position is sort of now it's running back by committee, it's hard to imagine a running back in today's day actually going to you know break into the top 100. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, you talk about even Hall of Fame. It's going to, I think, in the future, it's going to be, you're going to have fewer and fewer running backs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, it's a good question. How many running backs playing today you think end up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? But I think, you know, Emmett, as great as he was and as for as productive as he was for as long a period of time as he was, I don't think there's many people that would have taken him ahead of Barry Sanders or Walter Payton. And one, I, can I just want to just for a second, just jump back to the quarterbacks in terms of the, 
the Super Bowls and you look at moments in time, and I've always talked about this on the show, is that the Super Bowl between the Steelers and the Packers, when Ben Rotzenberger could have had his third title and Aaron Rodgers won his first, it's almost that that one snapshot in time is of a game, whereas Aaron would not be so ranked highly if he had no Super Bowls, and maybe Ben would have cracked this top 100 if he had that three Super Bowls. I don't know. You didn't give, you didn't put Troy in with three, so maybe you don't put Ben in with three either. Well, that's that, that's a good point. Well, and you know, you could go back to the Super Bowl, the Steelers Super Bowl against Seattle too, and say, what if they lost that one? Because that one was that one was kind of nip and tuck too. So, you know, that's that's the game, right? That so many games are decided by one play or you know, sometimes one call, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's all part of defining greatness. So we've been talking to Dan Pompey of The Athletic, The Football 100. It's an amazing book. It just came out. It's to be a great Christmas gift to give to somebody. You don't have to sit there and read it, the whole book and 100 players, but it's something to go look at different players and different stories. I love the stories about Joe Montana, the, about John Candy. There's just so many cute little stories in this, in this book. Um, since your book has been released and the, the list has been released, what have you heard in terms of what has been the biggest pushback? Is there anything besides the Julio Jones, which is mine, is there any other big pushbacks that you've heard from people? I would say the biggest is where's Larry Fitzgerald. I've heard I've heard that a number of times, and I get it. You know, I think if I could do it again, I'd probably put him on the list. Just don't ask me who I who I take off, right? Because again, that's that's the hardest part. But uh, he, uh, you know, he the thing about Fitzgerald is he played for a. a few years with with Kurt Warner who's obviously a Hall of Fame quarterback but other than that he played with a bunch of guys who you know really were not even good quarterbacks as a rule so um, I think uh, you know what he did was was pretty special he was uh, consistently productive and dominant and you know some of the best hands you ever saw uh, physical guy took a beating uh, he, he was everything so, and you know what the fun thing is that you left a lot of people off this list that are doing television commentary. So you're going to get pushback, but that's all, that's great because it's just discussion of your book. I mean, you don't, this is what's so much fun about these lists is that, yeah, right. There is no right or wrong answer. So, but it is funny. You hear Troy and then Larry does his show and all these people and it's not, they're not going to be making the points, but their, their coworkers are going to be the ones saying, Hey, why did they not put you on the hundred and stuff like that? So that's a good thing. But Dan, thank you so much for coming on and, and best of luck with this book. I think it's, it's a really it's a really fun book to read and and talk about forever because there is, of course, no right or wrong answer. Okay, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. Going to tonight, Cincinnati taking on Jacksonville. Jacksonville laying 10 points. I'd probably take the 10, but I'm staying away from this one altogether. What do you think? Jacksonville only opened up a 7.5-point favorite, and then it went to 10, so all the money has been going on Jacksonville. I think people are uh, not uh, too confident about Browning at the quarterback for the Bengals, how the Bengals are playing. But I think this, yeah, I, like, I think Jacksonville's going to blow them. I think this this is a game they have. Jacksonville has won seven of the last eight games. The only loss they had was against San Francisco, where they got totally blown out. But they did have some nice wins against Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Houston, Indianapolis. So I like Jacksonville. I think they're going to blow them out tonight. Ira, what's going on with the NBA play-in tournament? I don't know if it's capturing fans quite the way uh, the <laughs> NBA had anticipated. But you brought up a good point. If you want to see some live basketball, 
You can do it very affordably right now. They did something. I didn't know how. We had Tim Franco on talking about the show. I didn't realize they are only playing the two games today and the two games tomorrow. So there's no other games on. And then Wednesday, everybody plays. And then Thursday, they're going to have two more games. This is the quarterfinals. And then they one plays. And they don't even play on. No one play, They only play one game on Saturday. But they have to re-keep redoing the schedules in case who wins and who doesn't and put the games on Wednesday. But that's why the ticket prices. Like, I was shocked when I was looking to say, oh, what's the prices of these games? Boston, Indiana tonight, New Orleans, and Sacramento. They're really cheap. And uh, tomorrow is going to be New York and Milwaukee and Phoenix and the Lakers. And you're looking, well, where's Denver? Well, Denver's not in the play tournament. They didn't call, they didn't win enough of those games that caught, get counted. Oklahoma City, the Miami Heat aren't in the play tournament. They only took eight and you had to win certain games. So it is a little weird. I don't think people are going to get into it tonight. I think it's weird to go against Monday Football, maybe tomorrow night. But Thursday night, when there's those two games in semifinals, I'll talk about. And then clearly Saturday, when it's the only game in town. I think Saturday's going to be a good, I think Saturday will be a good night for the NBA. Let's uh, talk golf just really quick here. I know this was a huge deal because Tiger Woods is back out there. Exciting. He looked good, too. He didn't play well. He was 18th out of 20. <laughs> but but uh, Scotty Scheffler won the Hero World Challenge. There's only 20 golfers. But, uh, no, Tiger back is always good, and he looked healthy. He hasn't played since the Masters, so it's nice to see him back playing. You can uh, head over to see Michigan and Alabama in the Rose Bowl in style. Leave from a private uh, jet from Boca Raton direct to the airport in Long Beach, California. Avoid LAX. Park for free. Get onto your luxurious private 30-passenger ER-145 jet with first-class seats, drinks, snacks, and more. And like I said, right into Long Beach. For more information, 561-660-8540, 561-660-8540, mjc30.com. what's your plans this week? Not sure. You know, we might, I might go, um, there's nothing in Florida, but the Dolphins play next Monday night, so we might actually take the show a little earlier, and then I would go to the game on Monday night. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Dan Pompey. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.